1: Well, we always have an odd one in the crowd, so it's kind of odd. decidedly odd. Doesn't that strike you as a little bit odd?
2: No, that doesn't strike me as a little bit odd. It's the Bob and Sherry Oddcast, with stuff we wouldn't, couldn't, or shouldn't do on the regular show. Now, here's the Oddcast. Just about everybody knows Pam Stone as an actress, a comedian, a world-class uh, horse person, equestrian, and now... <laughs> An author, also with a brand new novel out, of, and she joins us right now. Hi, Pam.
1: Well, hey, Bob. Hey, Sherry. How are you guys? So nice we to are talk doing good. to you. It is so it's so good for you to remember me. It's been so long.
2: Oh, I see you on Facebook all the time, and I just love your posts with your uh, with your horses and your dogs and your farm. It's always very uh, inspirational. You have inspirational words. Yeah, you haven't gotten out of our life.
1: Oh, aren't you kind? It's, you know, it's uh, nothing really has changed since uh, when I was doing radio before. I'm just I'm in the barn all day. Right. And, and, you know, and I have uh, friends and Facebook friends who say, oh, I would just love to have your lifestyle because you wake up and you feed the horses and you ride the horses and care for all these animals, but you are held captive to a farm you know <laughs> it's not yeah. like it's not like having a dog where you could like take a yeah. trip and pay your neighbor or get somebody to come in and walk your dog it's like the list i have to look after each horse is like the torah i mean it's like well, Sher- <laughs>
2: sherry and i have had um people who like run dairy farms in right. wisconsin on um, and um you know it came as a shock to me because i'm not a farm boy that this one fellow we were talking to, we, we would say, "Well, where do you go on vacation?" It gets pretty cold in Wisconsin, and he said, um, "Well, I'm I'm 45. I've never had one. I grew up on the farm." I go well.
1: Wow. He's he's yeah, and he's not a rare one. Um, one of our um, steady listeners, or one of your steady listeners, who we call Neil the farmer. Uh, he does beef mm-hmm. farming now, but he did dairy farming forever, and they've never taken a vacation. It's um, really you know how it, the standard thing is. Well, dairy farmers, they you know they. They get in there and they start milking at 430 in the morning. Why do they do it so early? Because you have to do it twice a day, like 12 hours apart. That's why. And he wow. uh, um, he was telling me how he had major dental surgery and had all these wisdom teeth taken out. And mm-hmm. and uh, the, the uh, receptionist from the dentist called to check on him because they were really scared that he would have an awful lot of bleeding and, and complications from it. And they talked to his wife and said, well, we just want to check and make sure he's laying prone. She said he's in the barn milking. And they were like, he can't be oh, doing that. No. he can't be bending over. And it's like, well, you know, we wow. have 60 head of cattle, <laughs> and you can't tell yeah. that to them, you know. Yeah, so it's that's like, exactly yeah. right.
2: We want you, before we start talking about uh, the book and everything, to uh, say hello to the newest member of our full-time cast, Lamar Richardson from Georgia. Hey,
1: get out of <laughs> here, hey, <ma'am>. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember doing? Lamar, how are you? <laughs> yeah. I'm good, I'm good, I hope you are. I do. If I, did you see how my voice just did the totally Southern thing? It just went yeah. up so high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so in all those years in California, because I'm Southern, I get so excited. Um, I would not <laughs> take a call from any of my Southern girlfriends if I had an audition coming up because I work so long. <laughs> to get rid of my mm-hmm. Southern accent. So I could audition auditioned for yeah. other parts and I was auditioning for a part of a Midwestern girl, uh, you know, and they have mm-hmm. a very flat voice and it's like, dad, right? You know, mom, dad. Right. And so I had right. just been in, in this character for like three days. And so I'll just talk to right to here, you know, fish fry. Oh, for sure. Um, and so I had a girlfriend call me and she said, Oh, come on. I haven't talked to you in, in, in like two or three weeks. I got to tell you what's going on. I'm like, I cannot talk to you. I cannot mm-hmm. talk to you. She's like, Oh, you were just, I'm like such a snob. I can't believe you won't talk to any of <laughs> your old friends. And I said, It's not that. If I start talking to you, I'll go back to speaking Southern because it ha- it's like osmosis. You can't stop it. And she's like, she's like, Oh, all right. She said, But I just had some really important news to tell you. And I said, All right, what is the news? And she said, So Tommy and Missy ended up getting married. <laughs> you know, and it, it just started, it, it, it absolutely, and then it was over. Yeah, yeah. It takes months. And you yeah. know the funny thing, and we've talked about this um, before, and it's a standard thing how we make fun of. Uh, actually, Prince Harry was being made fun of because he's been adopting an American way of speaking, where he the voice goes up at the end, like that.
2: Uh huh. So, yeah.
1: And I, I was in England earlier this year, and I thought, wow, we're so juxtaposed because in America, especially with young female, and I even see female broadcasters never Sherry, but you'll see women uh, reporting the news and. They'll say it when they're just talking on camera, the voice goes up and then we're talking like this where everything like sounds like a question, even when it's not. Um,
2: it, it's like a valley girl thing. I hear that, too. And I'm very, very surprised that they haven't um, exercised that from uh, their deliveries.
1: You would think they would. And, and I used to mm-hmm. say to young women when I would be asked to do speaking engagements, I said follow. Listen to Oprah Winfrey. Listen to Sherry listen to Diane Sawyer, listen to how these women modulate their voices and they speak with confidence and they are eloquent. Mm-hmm. And this is the way you need to speak. You can't major in journalists and talk like this. Like, so anyway, we went to the store and I bought a dress and then we almost got hit by a car on the way back. <laughs> and when I hit like, because it sounds like as Robert Klein, the comedian, used to say, "You know that's why we lost the civil War because we went onto the the um, the field and the general yelled charge." uh so you know it's everything when you when you end every sentence and it sounds like a question especially a question. coming from women yeah. it sounds yeah. like you don't have confidence in what you're saying that what you're saying yeah. you're kind of subconsciously asking for permission to have that point of view and then i went to england this spring and the funny thing is over there the voices go downhill so I'm coming from a country where everybody talks like this. So my flight's at five thirty and I hope I get a window seat and I go over cool. there and my friend said, Pam, if you want some tea, it's in the <laughs> kitchen. On the right, table. That's and
2: true. That's exactly their cadence. You're Isn't right. it? It all goes down yeah. It's
1: on the table. In the yeah. kitchen. Yeah. In yeah. The red pot.
0: Americans have like this boundless optimism because we have so much space to move around in. And I think that we're, I think we're more excitable and excited as a, as a people. And it's sort of undignified for the Brit. Like one of the things Americans get made fun of for is being loud and boisterous and exuberant and colorful and flashy. And that's, I think that's just part of like our American sort of optimism you know six flags over there's always a second chance for whatever and that's a really big difference culturally too
1: I think you're right. And and there's a whole thing with the Brits, because, you know, my parents were Brits, um, you know, that never grumble mentality. And it could be just pouring and you can have a tea, like a tree that's crashed on your house. And they'll say, well, yes, we did have a tree come through the back window and it did destroy one of the cars, But, you know, mustn't grumble, mustn't grumble. <laughs> it's like over here, we grumble and we cuss.
2: The perfect example of what you just said. This was, uh, well, over 20 years ago, Sherry and I took a group of people to Great Britain.
1: And mm-hmm. we landed
2: and the next day Diana died <gasps> so, you were there yeah. during
1: that
0: yeah we were
2: and we yeah. went of course over to the palace and we saw all the flowers and and you know people were crying in the streets and all yes. and, uh my friend Barry Ward who's a formerly a professional golfer and now a travel agent he said well I have us booked let's just go and uh, we're going to play outside of uh, London about 40 miles out and off we went I think it was in Kent And, um, two old men were professional caddies. And I mean, they look like old Scottish men with the hats (laughs) and the tweeds and it's 90 degrees and they're wearing tweeds. And so, uh, I, these are the first people that I've talked to, uh, since Diana's death was announced. And uh, we were introduced, they were, they were probably in their sixties and, uh, they were our caddies. And, uh, I said, well, gentlemen, uh, before we begin, uh, first of all, thank you very much for uh, carrying the bags here today. Um, and we just feel awful about the loss of the princess. And uh, they looked at each other and went, "Yes, yes." Well, off we go then.
1: Yeah. was not grumble. Yes, it's a terrible. Isn't that crazy?
2: Totally. Just totally. Isn't you know, that it's crazy? Just,
1: and That's I and I did. Um, uh, I actually. This is all horse related. I went to England this uh, this spring. I was looking at, at horses, and then I went to France for the first time. Then I'm doing a lot of traveling, which is very rare for me because yeah. I can't leave the farm, and I had to leave everything in Paul's hands. Paul's not a horseman. You know, Mm -hmm. Paul's not Paul's having to take video and send it to me all the time. Is this okay? Should there should he still have a tail on, you know, the sort of thing, putting, you know, come back. And and it's like, bring him. Here's the halters. Put the halters on, lead him into the stall. And you come in the halters like upside down. And there, you know, it's like, oh, my God, it's like leaving. I'm assuming I've never had children. But when you when you leave the child with the babysitter for your first night away from home.
2: When right, You and exactly. your husband
1: or your partner go out for dinner and you're calling mm-hmm. every five minutes to make sure baby's still alive and that sort of thing. So that's what it was sure. for me. Um, I go to France and I was there in June. First time I've been to France and, and I'm nervous because I'm going by myself. And what do we hear as Americans about France? That um, if you go to Paris, they're very snotty. If you don't speak French, they, uh, they won't even try to help you. The waiters are very snotty. The people look down their nose at Americans, um, this sort of thing. I had the most wonderful experience ever. And I don't know if it's because of its post COVID and uh, businesses perhaps have been struggling more. But Mm -hmm. I mean, I was only in uh, Paris for a day. I found everyone could not have been more helpful or lovely. And I remember um, going to the main train station, the Gare, and Paris and I'm really nervous because it's all digital. Tickets are on my phone, and my phone is dying. And I don't, and I'm not Mm going to be able to find out which platform. I'm just, I, I don't know the French word for platform. I'm just, I'm just really, really intimidated. And a woman saw me struggling, and she said, "Where are you going?" And I said, "I have to pick up this train." She said, "Oh, I'm taking the same train, and it's this platform." And um, and I said, "And my phone's dying, and my tickets on on my phone." And she said. Show me your ticket. And I pulled up the phone. She takes her phone and puts it over my phone and takes a photo of my ticket on her phone. So she has it. So Ugh. we board together and she shows them her phone.
2: Isn't How that wonderful?
1: How lovely was that? Yes.
2: Yeah, exactly. I'm so
1: glad. To hear you say
0: this, Pam, because it's such a cliche that the French are awful and rude and dislike Americans. I've never had that experience. I mean if you're making if you're making an effort to be polite and, you know, take a shot at Bonjour, you know, usually usually works out okay. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I think so too. And the other thing, and I and I'll get off this, I was just so I this is what happens to me, Bob and Sherry. Whenever (laughs) I go to a country that I fall in love with, I'm ready to move there. I get like, I I become like a neophyte of the country. I came back from France and I'm looking at French real estate because it was so (laughs) the the village, uh, forget Paris. Paris is incredible. Of course it is. But I was staying in this medieval hilltop village that was just happened to be voted the most beautiful village in France called St. Suzanne. They're all St. Something. St. Suzanne. Mm -hmm. That's that's all I can do. And it was so exclusive wizard and you know it's like uh, 900 years old and um, very s- small and charming and there was a little village school there so I'm sitting outside and I decide to go to a little bistro to get something to eat I'm a vegetarian right and so I I say to the waiter as best I can can I do a vegetable plate and he's like um, um oh yeah 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 we can we, we could do that and he comes out oh my god God. So if I did that in America, and I don't mean to be anti-America here, but let's face it, you go to a regular restaurant in here and it's like, could I get, they'll, they'll bring you a salad, right? They'll say, well, vegetarian, right. okay, well, we can do iceberg lettuce and there's the onion ring and the cherry tomato. He brings out this plate of, there's couscous, there are sliced heirloom uh, tomatoes with the mozzarella, the caprese um, nice. there is sliced melon drizzled with balsamic. It is the most exquisite plate of fresh, uh, you know, vegetables and fruits that they just knocked yeah. out. They just knocked out in like five minutes. And I'm right. sitting there as school lets out. And I look at all these children and they're all like, they look like the number one, all these skinny little kids. And I talked to the lady that I'm staying with, that I was staying at a and B. And I said, everywhere I've eaten from Paris into this village, the food is superb. It's so fresh and tasty. And she said, well, you know, everything, the French, we we demand good food and we know what it is. And we will not go to a restaurant if it's not fresh and really good. And each, I didn't know this till that day, but each school, each school in France has their own chef. And You're lunch kidding. Lunch lasts about an hour and a half because it's a class. And the children go into the kitchen and they will help maybe the sous chef. And it's not like the, everything, nothing is frozen. The chef is there. They use locally sourced food. And he's like, Today we are having stew. And the, and the kids watch them chop up the ingredients or they're having whatever they're having. And then they sit instead of the long tables like they have in America. They're round tables with tablecloths and a vase of flowers on them. And the children sit down and one at a time, it's each child's um, turn to serve like out of a tureen. If the kids are starting with a soup first, so they learn how to serve and they learn manners and how to sit. And so it becomes a class and snacking is unheard of. The children have a very well-balanced, healthy, protein-based meal, and then they are satisfied. And I saw that the whole time I was France, I never saw anyone like on the train eating chips or or chocolate or yeah. anything like that. And I right, thought, right. why can't we do that in America? We could do that. Schools could have their own cooks and have Wouldn't fresh salads. And I, I just and you look at the children and how healthy mm-hmm. they look. And I, that's all I'm going on about that. So I came back and I thought, let look how much French real estate is, and it's uh, well.
0: Pam, my um, my daughter Olivia. You know, my kids went to a public magnet school that was language immersion, and so in eighth Mm. grade, Olivia was a foreign exchange student in um, Lyon, France. And Ah. the first thing that she wanted to talk to me about when she called me on the phone was school lunch. And if anyone thinks, oh, that must have been a fancy school, Pam went to. Uh, uh, that's how it is in France. Olivia, because you know. Olivia's in, like, an enormous urban public school, you know, K-8, and, you know, they had st- um, uh, staggered lunch times because there were so many kids. You were in this deafening cafeteria, and you we all know, like, what school mm-hmm. lunch is. Olivia's like, Mom, um, we helped the school chef cook, and then we all sat at, like, little restaurant tables and ate for 90 minutes. They had a 90-minute lunch break. Oh, and yeah. on Wednesdays? Wait, wait. On Wednesdays, um, the school gets out early. All the schools in France get out early so that the kids can have, you know, a little bit of time for the things they enjoy. Sports, family, the zoo, a nap. Why
1: can't we do this? Why can't we do this? this? I don't
2: know. If it was North Haven Elementary School, I'd be helping the uh, chef make bologna sandwiches.
1: Right. You know, I mean, look, when I think looking. of what we eat, like uh, <laughs> it, it, the pizza day or it's all full yeah. of salt. It's all full of yeah, everything I we know. shouldn't be having. And I, I don't even know if if our kids in this country would eat those French meals. Now, they're so used to eating, eating that well, food they, that they shouldn't be eating. Well, not just their kids,
2: but our, the adults, our adults too. but I think yeah. after a well, while, right. yeah. we we would arrive at that being, you know, a really healthy lifestyle. So we—it oh, yeah. we,
1: it was an eye opener.
0: We eat what, what what we have. You know, the, we feed our kids what we have, and mm-hmm. it's such a completely different culture. I'm glad you got to see that because when Olivia called home with that news. I was like, wait! I want to go to French middle school. That
1: sounds like a pretty good. Oh my gosh! And and now when you, if you Google on, uh, if you just go on the internet and Google and Google um, school lunches around the world, and they show what Americans have, like typical, and then they show what kids eat in France and Germany. It's it's unbelievable, and there's no excuse because it's cheaper if it's locally sourced. You get it from the local farmer market. And
0: and you know what though, Pam? You know what though, Pam? I think like. I, I know myself, and I think I speak for all Americans when I say it is so much more important to me that Elon Musk and Bill Gates and the Koch brothers and all get some get some dollars into those bank accounts while my kids eat a tater tot and a ranc a rancid hot dog. That's fine uh, with me because I want my betters to have their jets and their trips to uh, low Earth orbit. Man. Don't you? It's, Don't we it all? Isn't-
1: yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, man, we're going to start preaching now. And I have to tell you, I have to tell you if anybody, you know, for those that are listening saying, wow, is it really that night? Nice press I look up real estate. I so I learned this only 64% of, of French citizens own property, the rest of them rent. And it's been it's that way
2: forever. It's not just in France; it's throughout Europe. Americans don't realize that, and it's and it's not something that uh, people are embarrassed about or uh, feel terrible. They're just used to renting apartments or homes.
1: They're just yeah, especially in the cities now. In England, prices went through the roof uh, in in uh-huh. COVID, and because it's a small island, and countryside is at a premium. So you know, it's half a million dollars for for a small house in the country, whereas in France. I'm pulling up Right Move. It's like my favorite website to go to for for European uh, real estate. Right Move France, and you can buy on two to three acres, completely refurbished, the most charming stone traditional French cottage, hardwood floors, beautiful kitchen, you know, uh, with the beams exposed. Easy, a hundred grand. Easy. What? Yes, I'm telling you, Bob. I'm telling you. We'll go, we'll go, we're gonna go online and look at these. And and there were I'm dozens do of that. them.
2: That's wild. Dozens yeah. of
1: them. Because the average um the average salary is quite low in France. And mm-hmm. so there's not there's mm-hmm. not the the uh, go-for mentality to buy to buy up all the real estate. So that's why the prices have stayed low. Oh, that's I'm fantastic. telling you, you could have a vacation home over there. And this was and this was like in the northwestern section mm-hmm. where I was looking and then it's not far from there before you go into like the south of france and provence and all that but even an hour away from provence is still incredibly yeah, still beautiful yeah yeah right. for, you couldn't get that in america you couldn't get a lake home in america no. for anything close Anywhere. to that
2: no, and, and no these way. are
1: so charming you look at them and then it's just the little country roads and into the villages and you think yes that's where i want to retire mm.
2: Well, we better get to the book or we'll run out of time. And uh, we want to hear about that. The name of the book is Girls Like Her. So that's a very uh, interesting title. Why the title? And I hate to ask this question. What's it about?
1: (laughs) Yeah, what's it about? So um, the the main character in my head had been swimming around in my head for a decade. And I thought, look, you're either going to write this or you're not. Um, and it, I I used to love watching House Hunters International, and I love watching Escape to the Country on on uh, the Brit Box. And right. I've always been enamored with these single people, especially women, especially women of a certain age that do make that move, like we're talking about right now, that have that kind of lust for life and wanderlust, and say, "Well, I've always wanted to live in Paris. I've always wanted to live in Copenhagen or whatever." Mm-hmm. And they do it. They leave everything and they do it. And mm-hmm. so that's what this book was about. Uh, my heroine, she's 69 years old. She's about to turn 70. She's done what every other uh, woman has done. She's She raised her kids. She was forced to divorce her husband because he was mentally ill. Um, and she, her parents, her mother was British, and she just felt very at home in England. And she decides... By the time she hits her 70th birthday, she's a breast cancer survivor. I'm doing this. And the book is about the response from her children. And she is considered uh all through the book in the beginning when you meet her she's one of these women that everybody admires they say things mm-hmm. like well girls like her you know she can do anything she can uh, you right. know she she can she walks around with a leather man on her belt she can hang a gate she can fix it <laughs> you know right. she's dynamic she's well read she can do everything and then when she talks about moving suddenly you can't do that you're you know not at this age and, and you're a breast cancer survivor what if you can't suddenly she's too old to do this grand adventure when five minutes ago everybody's been talking how they wish they could be like her because she's the energizer benny and she never stops and she's incredible.
2: i was i was going to guess that her children when they heard about it were appalled because of worry for her
1: yeah, she has one child. Uh, they're obviously adults. That that is right. uh, exactly appalled, and the other one supports her. And mm-hmm. the the lovely thing about this book, and I have to tell you, when I sit down to write, I'm I have never been a um, a writer that has a lot of self discipline that sits down, that has breakfast, and then writes from ten till two every day. I sit down and I almost regurgitate it. it I I wrote that book in in eight weeks and it took eight weeks because um, the computer crashed and I lost the first seven chapters. Uh, had I no, not done that, no. I would have I would have written it no. in about five weeks. I didn't sleep. I, my table was littered with coffee and beer, and I was just like a mental patient, just banging at the keyboard, and yeah. um, and it all just came out in one fell swoop and i the the main reason that i did write this was because i was looking around in literature in women's fiction particularly and i couldn't find anything about women of a certain age They're, it's all written for a, a younger audience and i thought you know there's no expiration date on adventures you know That's if right. you can get out of bed and keep moving there's no expiration date on any dreams that you might've had, you go for it. It doesn't matter if you say, well, I'm 50 now, well, I'm 60 now or 70, you're going to be 50 or 60 or 70 anyway. Right? right. So if you're lucky, right. Or 80, so you may as well do what the hell you're going to do. And, and that is what it's about. And the best part about this, you guys is when I was doing, when I was on tour doing book signings for it, I had two women in a row standing in line. And the first one said, I want to tell you, I read this book. And Uh, I taught school my entire career for 35 years and I have retired and had no idea what I was going to do. And I read this book and I contacted my two best girlfriends and we're renting a cottage in France for Uh. the summer. The next woman came up. and she was, she said, I'm 69 years old, just like the woman in your book. And she said, I was a ballet dancer in my career. And she's one of these women who can still wear her hair to her waist at her age and still look, and look amazing
2: and look right. Good. Very yeah. rarely yeah. can
1: women wear long hair and look great at a certain age. And she said. I read this book and this is the second one I've bought and I'd like you to sign it because I told my husband I intend to spend my 70th birthday by myself on a beach in Spain, drinking a glass of champagne.
2: Well, congratulations. I guess it's on Amazon, right? You can pick it up, Girls Like Her?
1: Sure, sure. And um, I did the book tour all for independent bookstores. I was I was very much trying to, to That's even uh, better. do my good yeah. for that. So yeah, it's, it's on yeah. Amazon. It's called Girls Like Her. It's a great I originally wrote it to be like a chick's beach read, and it became much more substantial. And it was actually nominated for um, the Southern Writers' Prize, and I I didn't even know that. It was like, I think it came in like third or something, which was, uh, it's, uh, that is put together by independent bookstore owners that nominated it. So, yeah.
2: Well. It's a delight to talk to you again. It's been too long, and uh, I hope you don't have to write another book uh, until we uh, say hello and continued uh, success with everything you're doing, including your horses.
1: Well, thank you so much. Great talking to you guys, and always great to catch up. You too. Take care, Pam. Hey, thank you so much
0: for listening to the Bob and Sherry Podcast and the Bob and Sherry Oddcast. We would love if you would subscribe, rate, and review And share it with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you go. And thank you again for listening.